0: Vineyard Northwest family, what is up? It's Wilson. This last weekend, we had another guest speaker. This guy's name is Isaac Armstrong. Amazing, amazing messages he preached. He lit us all on fire for deeper intimacy in the secret place, believing for miracles. And just bottom line, just really being a surrendered person who goes to Jesus before anything else. Um, Isaac is a missionary in Mexico. He's been working with the legend, David, David Hogan for the last 20 years in Mexico. So Isaac Armstrong, you're going to love this message. Have an amazing week. We have a guest speaker, Isaac Armstrong, uh, Isaac is up here to my left with his son Luke. And uh, they're, they're an amazing couple of guys. They both love Jesus. And I, I wish I could meet their entire family because I'm sure the whole family's uh, really amazing. Some of you have heard of a man named David Hogan. Uh, David is known for his decades of ministry in Mexico and for all the people that have been raised th- from the dead through his ministry. And I understand he was raised from the dead at one point himself. And so uh, that's pretty pretty exciting. Uh, Lori and I heard David Hogan while we were still in Champaign in the 90s. And uh, he had a huge impact on my life at that, at that time. But when we were asked would we like an associate of David Hogan's to speak at the church, we said, duh. Uh, Yes, of course we do. And uh, so we're excited to have Isaac here today. Um, I want to tell you, if... um if, if as you get to know him, as you hear him speak, you're going to understand why I'm going to say this. Lori and I had dinner last night with Luke and Isaac, and they uh, Isaac is, is just an amazing man of God, has tremendous insight and a tremendous anointing, and he is going to deposit something in our hearts for all of us who are here. He's going to deposit something in the heart of this church. And I just say we open the heart of our church up right now in Jesus' name to receive what this brother has for us. And with all the respect I can muster and all the honor I can muster, uh, let's just forget about David Hogan right now because we have Isaac Armstrong in the house. Okay, would you stand and welcome him?
1: All right. Well, I don't deserve it because Jesus is king, not me. I hope you all are doing well. Where's my clock? There it is. Where I'm from, pigs and chickens are running around in church. So forgive me if I quit looking at the clock in a minute, but I'll try to remember. Uh, We love you. We bless you. Uh, So thankful for uh, Van and Lori and of course Wilson and and his family and um, by way of a mutual friend Chris Gentry and Aurelia Gentry uh, we made contact a while back and it just all kind of fit together and I'm I'm super thankful for that and it's an honor and a privilege to to be standing in, hey there's a clock right here, look at that. (laughs) Y'all really want me to see the clock. (laughs) Look at that. Oh, that's because he can't see that far. Okay, that's what it is. That's what it is. (laughs) That's funny, funny, funny. Uh, But I count it an honor and a privilege to be here and get to speak into this house. I don't take it lightly. Amen. Um, I am uh, blessed to get to call Brother David, uh, one of my spiritual fathers. We've done life together for a long time now. Um, I've been in Mexico with him since 2003, um, but the road that it took me to get there was uh, adventurous. Um, I grew up in church, and, 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 and I'm not a really good missionary speaker because I don't do the slideshow and all that stuff. I don't, I don't know how to do that too good, so forgive me for that part of it. But um, I really do uh, feel like I have something to deposit in, in, in your hearts, but I also want you to know me. Amen? Amen. Um, because that trust fosters and creates space to say sometimes hard things. I'm not saying I'm going to lay out a bunch of hard things today. That's not my aim. But the, the point is I, I want you to know me. I want us to know each other. Amen. And I've, I've been in the house now for a few minutes and met some of, uh, your leaders and, um, that, that speaks volumes. Uh, but I want you to hear a little bit about my life and my story what, what got me here. Um, cause I grew up in church. I grew up around uh, godly people. My mom and dad are, uh, amazing saints of God and, uh, just raised me in a home, um, full of the presence of God. I watched God transform my dad from a workaholic, um, very anxious, uh, at times angry man, Uh, and God began to do a work in my mom's heart and through that, um, God began to do a work in my dad and I watched God change my mom and dad, right? As a young man, as a, as a little kid, even I watched God humble the heart of my dad. And now he's one of the, the most sensitive, humble human beings on the planet. Reminds me a lot of brother Jim. I appreciate tenderhearted people. (laughs) Ain't that good? May we all be graced with a tender heart in Jesus' mighty name. My daddy says, if the tears ever quit flowing, son, you're in sin. Repent. That's a good word. Maybe you want some tears to come back. That's a good place to be. You hear me? So I grew up around that environment, but I was uh, quite... Um, angry with the disconnect between what I saw the church or what I heard the church say and what I ch- saw the church do. The disconnect between what we practiced and what we preached really ticked me off for lack of a better word. Well, I got other words, but I'm going to use that one. <laughs> <laughs> it really it really messed with me and it, it angered me, but that wasn't God's fault. That was man's fault. Man, I blamed God for it and that ain't right. And so um, that's kind of where I was. I didn't want anything to do with playing the game, but I was also into politics. And to be a good politician, you got to play the game. So I could put on a suit and tie and go to church with the best of them, and I could read my Bible with the best of them. But man, my heart was so dark and and ugly. And I got into drugs, alcohol, the whole nine yards, but there again, all the while, had a suit and a tie on, kissing all the babies, and it looked like everything was going really, really good for me, but it wasn't. I got into politics, and and I really thought that was the the course that my life was gonna take, and um, started working in the state capitol in Alabama. So, I mean, really, really, I was headed that direction. And then I had an encounter with this fella. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but his name's Jesus. (laughs) There was just something missing on the inside of me. And I knew it because uh, I was telling them yesterday, my whole life, as I began to see God do a transformation in my mom and dad, I would wake up in the middle of the night, two or three in the morning, and it would be pitch black in the room. And I could hear my dad laying in the floor, crying out to God. I could hear him weeping. Under the presence of the living God. And it just messed with me man. That messed with me. And so all the while that I was out there being a demon. The presence of God haunted me. The Holy Ghost haunted me. He haunted me. I couldn't go anywhere without him being right there. And it bugged me. It made me mad. I didn't want it. I didn't like that. So. It's a long story, but in essence I got to this place where I just got to the end of me. I got to the end of 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 my strength. I felt like I was running out quick. I felt like death was a better option for me. That's kind of where I was. And I remember one Sunday morning I went to church just to make my mama happy so she'd be happy. You want your mama to be happy, I guess. I don't know. So I went to church. Don't remember what the pastor said, didn't care. And uh, I got in my little sports car after church. I lit up a cigarette and I was headed down I-20 in, Al- in Alabama. I was on I-20, headed down the interstate. And I looked in my rearview mirror of my little sports car and I saw my dead body like I'm looking at you. And the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, this is you without me. And something on the inside of me broke. Something on the inside of me began to, to, to collapse. And I began to cry out to God, And I just told him with his most, with the most honest and sincere words I could muster. I told him I'll serve you the rest of my life, but I refuse to play their game. I'm not doing it. I'm either going to, I'm either going to serve you the way this, the way the word of God says I can, or I ain't doing it. And I'm telling you, it was like, it was like. All of heaven opened up and Jesus came and sat in the car with me and I felt the arms of the father wrap me up and say, that's all I wanted. That's what I was looking for. He cherishes you. He cherishes you. I need you to, I need you to believe in his care for you. He cares for you. Because I grew up in an environment, not in my home, but in the, in the church environment. Maybe it's more in the south than up here. I don't know. But the thing we use to try to motivate people's hearts is fear. Fear of death. Fear of hell. And I didn't want to go to hell. Who wants to go to hell? That's stupid. Who wants to go to hell? Nobody. So I tried to quit drinking so I wouldn't go to hell. I tried to quit sleeping around so I wouldn't go to hell. I tried to quit drugs so I wouldn't go to hell. And it worked for about two weeks, three weeks, maybe a month, two months. And then you're right back in the same old hole. But when I encountered the love of God, when Jesus came and sat down in the car with me and wrapped me up and said, this is all I ever wanted. I wanted to hold you. Love motivated me in a way that fear never could. AND I'VE NEVER GONE BACK. AND I AIN'T NEVER GONNA. I BELIEVE IN THE PERPETUAL LIFE FLOW OF GOD. I DON'T BELIEVE WE SHOULD NEED REVIVAL EVERY TWO OR THREE YEARS. I BELIEVE WE SHOULD GET PLUGGED INTO THE LIVING GOD AND JUST STAY ALIVE FOREVER. WE ARE TREES PLANTED BY THE RIVERS OF WHAT? LIVING Water. The Word of God says that their leaf will never wither. Weariness, the withering leaf, is no longer legal for you. Perpetual life. We're just going to start calling it vival. Because once you tap in, baby, you stay that way. You stay alive. Seasons, they they don't exist for the child of God. We are evergreen. Come on. It's going to, I'm going to have to work on this. So that's where I was. I told God, I don't want to play their game. And in the middle of all of that, there's this huge story there. All of us have these amazing, intricate, beautiful testimonies. I like to say God's big picture is a mosaic because we all have all these little things that have happened in our lives and they make up our story. Right. But there are some things, some highlights in each one of our stories that that literally changed the course of our life. One of those things for me is when I met Brother David. Um, when I heard him for the first time, I didn't know who he was. It was an old cassette tape that didn't have his name on it. And, and he just began to preach, but he was talking about the dead being raised. And he was talking about blinded eyes being opened. And he was talking about deaf ears being opened and casting out devils. And that sounded a lot like the Word of God to me. Yeah, Am I supposed to stand in one spot? Okay. <laughs> I get in trouble that way a lot. There's a lot of videos of me on the Internet where it's a pulpit and I go in and out of the frame a whole lot. Sorry. Oops. (sighs) So it sounded like the word of God to me. And that intrigued me. Long story short, we made a trip down to Mexico, me and some buddies of mine, and uh, I hated it. My flesh hated it. I was in torment the whole time. Hated it. Hated it. It's a hard life. It's a hard life. I'm, a, you know, I'm just a saved redneck from Moody, Alabama, but still, man, hey, that's hard. But at the end of this trip, I had an encounter with the fella that came and sat in my car with me when I got born again. He met me up on the mountaintop in a little Indian hut. I was watching this little grandma. She didn't have any offering to give Jesus. She had nothing to give. She had no beans. She had no money. She had no eggs. She had nothing to give because that's what our people do. It's not fancy. It don't look great, but they give what they got. It might be corn. It might be beans, whatever it might be. They're going to come and give it to Jesus on the offering. And, and that's awesome. But this little grandma came and she had nothing to give. So she took a little piece of paper. She had torn off a brown paper bag and she took a pencil about that big around or that long, and she drew some flowers on that old tore up dirty piece of paper. And she took her flowers and she put them on the offering and the spirit of God came and hit my heart. And everything that seemed impossible in one moment became possible. Because I watched that and I said, if she can give her best, then I can give my best. And I decided right then and there, I'll do it. God never came out of the sky and told me, go to Mexico. Never did, still hasn't. I'm still waiting. (laughs) Been there 18 years and he still hasn't said, go to Mexico. BUT WHEN I SAW THAT, I TOLD HEAVEN, OKAY, I'M IN. IF SHE CAN GIVE HER BEST, I CAN GIVE MY BEST. So I made a decision. It took us some, some years to, to get there. I still wasn't married, but between that day and, and when we moved down in 2003, because we've been there since then, 03, and uh, I, I, I got married, and, and just God began to do a lot of stuff in, in our lives. And it's a beautiful story how we got there, but we ended up getting to Mexico in 2003, and uh, we've been there ever since preaching the gospel. Amen. Our whole idea of ministry is spend time at the feet of Jesus and then go out and do what he says. It's not complicated. Sometimes we make it a whole lot more complicated than it needs to be. And so, um, how do I put this? Uh, I love running with Brother David. He's an awesome fella. He's He's militant. He's a, he's a decided individual. (laughs) You ain't going to get him off of it once he's made his mind up. We fast, we pray, we go out and preach the gospel every day of our life and we love to do it. But I was telling them yesterday, I spent about a decade trying to be David Hogan and I had kind of developed this thing in my heart. I don't know. I wouldn't have vocalized it this way. Hold on. I wouldn't have said it this way. I almost drank the microphone. <laughs> you just watched that happen. <laughs> Pretty cool. You can tell I don't, I don't talk with a microphone a whole lot. So... I wouldn't have vocalized it that way, but, but performance, I had developed a performance identity, a performance mentality. Cause man, we're, we were, we were the best. We could, we could do it. We could do the job. We could preach better than you and longer than you more often than you. We could win more souls than you. We could see more miracles than you. I could fast longer than you could fast. And that sounds really, really ugly, but really in my brain, that had become my identity. That's what made me all right with God in my mind. That's what justified all of my garbage. Because look at all the good stuff I'm doing. Look at all the good things that we're doing in your name. And I need to, I need you to hear the whole truth because I have seen some amazing things. You read it in the word of God and we've gotten to experience it. That will change the way you see the world. That will change the way you live life. But something happened to us um, in our work. It got dangerous where we live. And I won't go into the whole story, but I'll just say that it got very dangerous for us, our team. Um, There was a lot of murder and a lot of things going on around us. And we had to stop doing things the way we had always done them. We had to quit just going through the motions that we had always gone through. And doing good things, don't hear that the wrong way, but, but life came and interrupted the way, the, the way we were doing stuff. But that's not always a bad thing. That can get you off of autopilot. We need to learn to move with the Holy Ghost. We need to learn to hear his voice and then go out and share what he says with the world. So in the middle of all this craziness and chaos, um, I began to see, I began to feel that there was this disconnect, that, that there was a lack of connectedness, that there was a lack of communion between myself and the Father. When Jesus spoke to the church, Philadelphia, right? Yeah. About forsaking the first love, their first love. He didn't say they weren't doing some good things. If you look, he he actually commends them for a lot of good things that they were doing. I was doing good things, but I had slipped. I was, I had forsaken that first love, fire and passion. And it was missing and I knew it and just something wasn't working. And I, I was, I just felt lack in my life. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see it in the midst of all my busyness because I was doing good things. Look how busy I am. But when that slowed down, all of this stuff became painfully obvious to me. I began to ask God what was up. He gave me a vision. I was sharing it with him yesterday. He gave me a vision and in this vision, I began to see people that I know and love. I've done life with these people. I've been, in, I've been in the room with these people when God has raised the dead and healed the sick. And we've preached the gospel all over the planet. These are godly men and women. Do you hear what I'm saying? But as I was sitting in this vision, they began to walk in front of me and they would come in front of me and they would stop and they would stare at me and I would stare at them. And as I was looking at them, I would just gaze at their face and looking at their face, I could see it was like there was this plastic thing, this, this mask, this facade that we all wear, the the facade that says, Hey, everything's going great. I'm blessed, highly favored. Amen. Amen. And so, so this thing was there in front of their face and I could feel that something, I wasn't seeing the full picture. And as I looked at them, the spirit of God allowed me to see past the plastic and it would just kind of disintegrate. And as I looked at them and they looked at me, I could see past it. And what I saw, the word that came to me was weariness. And that puzzled me. But then this one would leave, and here would come another one. Same thing. They'd stare at me, and I'd stare at them until this facade disappeared again. Weariness. Over and over again. And as I was watching this, I began to weep. I began to ask God, how is this possible? I don't get it. And he spoke to me out of the word of God. All he said to me was, come to me all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And there below it says, rest for your souls. But the thing he emphasized, the thing he highlighted to me was, come to me. And that statement was pregnant with this revelation and it began to download into my spirit. I had begun to come to ministry and quit coming to Jesus. We have started coming to church and quit coming to Jesus. We're coming to the machine and we we quit coming to the one who actually gives us life. And I need you to understand that the end of that road is weariness. And that is not legal for you. You are called to be planted by rivers of living water. Amen. Amen. So in the middle of all of that, I began to see, okay, something's missing. I need to come to Jesus. So I intentionally began to lean in. Folks, we don't have to get it all right. We have to make a decision to lean in. We've got to make the decision to lean in, guys. Come on. So this was going on when... A few days had passed. God woke me up one morning. I was in our, my house, and we had been kicked out of our, our town. We couldn't, we couldn't live in our house for over two years because of all the craziness. We had just gotten back to, to, to be able to, to, to go back home, and, and this is the time frame when all of these things were happening to me. And one morning, about 3, 3.30 in the morning, the Spirit of God woke me up. Have you ever had one of those moments when you just know? He's here. He's, he's got something to say to me. So I felt him in the room with me and I stood up and I began to walk around the house because I felt there was something he wanted to share with me. And in that, that time, I began to walk around the house and I'll read the verse to you. It's in, in Acts. You don't have to, to look there. I can read it to you. But in Acts chapter four, I began to walk around my home And the Word of God spoke to me. You you find it here, where is it? It's in the Book of Acts. It's chapter four. And it's verse thirty-two. And 33, it says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, neither did anyone that any of the things uh, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. 33 says, and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Amen. Well, as I began to walk around the house. The spirit of God began to say something to me. He began to whisper to me out of this verse right here. And he said, great grace was upon them all. But that's all he said. Great grace was upon them all. But he whispered it to me. Great grace. Great grace was upon them all. And he said it to me over and over and over again. He began to whisper to me. Great grace was upon them all. And when he did... That moment, that whisper was pregnant with life, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I fell in the floor, I began to weep, and the Spirit of God just began to download this, this revelation of God's grace in my life. His grace is sufficient. Amen. We believe God's grace to be God's favor on the life, and that's true. That's true, we know that, but God's grace is also his empowerment in our life. He empowers us to do the things he's asked us to do. And so it was just hours of of the presence of the living God was just strong in my house. And he was just right there on top of me. It was amazing. And it was three or four hours of just absolute beauty. But then I got up from there and I had to go do life. I got up from there and had to go do real life. Y'all know what that looks like. So, you know, we work in villages and they're not right there close to the house. You got to get out there and go. So I got in my four wheel drive and I started driving. It's about two and a half hours from my house. There's a little village. I don't go there all the time. I was actually going to for another one of our missionaries. I was just going to help out. So I went to this little village and we did a church service and we did all the right stuff. And that's amazing. But after the church service, this little grandma walks up and she throws this pile of rags in my hands. And so when it hits me, I'm, it was heavy, and I'm, I opened it up, and there was a little baby wrapped up inside of this pile of rags. And I don't know what the disease was, but it was a flesh-eating disease, like leprosy. But this thing had taken this little baby. It was about a three-month-old baby, and had eaten its face off. Like the, there was holes in the face. The baby's nose was missing This baby was full of infection and pus. And you mamas especially know a little baby can't take that. Like this baby is literally dying in my hands. And grandma snuck around the family. The family's not born again. And grandma heard we were coming. She snuck around, stole the baby, and came and found me. Heal this baby. That's what she said. She threw that baby up. She said, heal this baby. Hit me in the chest to unwrap it and see what's going on. And what hit me was not faith. <laughs> what hit me was fear. What hit me was the impossibility of the situation. And as I'm holding this baby, the whisper came back. The whisper from that morning laying in the floor. The same whisper, the same words. Great grace was upon them all. The flood of heaven came washing over the top of me. And I just began to smile. We prayed for that baby. And I got in my four-wheel drive and I I went to the house. It wasn't fancy. In Jesus' name, be healed. And I left. Like I say, it's not a place I go a lot. So I'm not in constant contact with these people. But about two weeks later, I happened to see the the pastor that's in charge of that region. He was there with me that day. And I saw him and I asked him about the baby. Guys, right after we left, God began to do a work in that baby. All of the fever leaves. All of the pus dries up. God grew skin back in the holes of this baby's face, and God gave that baby a new nose, completely healed in Jesus' name. You see that and it will mess you up. That will wreck your life. We're inviting God to come and pour out new wine, but the word of God says he won't do it in an old wine skin. If you want it, if you really want it, then get ready for him to wreck your agendas. Get ready for him to undo the way we've always done it. The way we've always done it isn't good enough anymore. He's doing something fresh and new in the earth. There is a revival brewing But I need you to know, I need you to understand that it is a revival in the secret place. It's not going to happen in this house before it happens at your house. It's not going to happen here unless we're stewarding the private flame of intimacy and devotion. That's what plants you by that river of living water. That's what makes you an evergreen. That's what cultivates an environment inside of you that is stronger than any environment out there. I don't give a crap what happens on November 3rd. Jesus is king in my life. Sean Hannity ain't my prophet. CNN don't run my life. Jesus does. Do we participate? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. But it don't have to look like they say it does. Jesus is king. He either is or this is all a lie and we should go do something more fun. (laughs) But I promise you, your fun can't get that baby a new nose. Only Jesus does that. I've seen some amazing things every kind of miracle and I, 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 I rejoice in that, but this began to do something in my life. This encounter began to remind me of something, the most precious thing ever. All of those amazing miracles pale in comparison to the moments when I get to sit at his feet and listen to his whispers. Let his whispers fuel your life. The word of God says, the things that I tell you in secret, shout those things from the rooftop. Problem is, we got a lot of people in pulpits that have not heard him say a thing. I don't care how much you've studied the word of God. Do you know him? Do you know him? It's a fellow named Eric Gilmore. I heard him tell the story. I don't know where he got it or I'd give them credit to. But he was telling the story about this preacher. This young preacher got up and he was going to preach on the 23rd Psalm. And he began to preach, the Lord is my shepherd. And he was down in the south, we call it shucking the corn, man. He's getting after it. He was doing it right, man. He was using all the right verses. He had on the best suit. He knew all his hermeneutics was right. All of that stuff was perfect, man. He was hitting it. And they amended him, you know. But then he got done and they invited this old elder that nobody knows. And the old elder got up. And all he did, that brother Jim, he said, the Lord is my shepherd. And when those words came out of his mouth, the spirit of God ran into the house people fell into the floor, began to weep under the presence of God. And after that church service, that old young young preacher came and he grabbed that old man by the shirt collar. He said, what just happened? And he was mad. What did you do? I preach better than you. I'm dressed better than you. I did everything right and you didn't say nothing. He said, oh son, Some people know the song, but I know the shepherd. What I want for this house, what I want for our people, because you're my people, what I want is that we would know the shepherd. I want you to learn the value of sitting at his feet and listening to his whispers. Listening to him say your name. that's what matters most. That's what will change the course of your life. I spent a a decade of my life walking with one of the most powerful men of God on the planet. I still walk and do life with him today, but about eight years ago, God began to change some things in my heart because I can't be David Hogan, but you know what? He can't be me. God wants to do something in you, and it is an expression that the world needs to see. But if you don't learn to steward those whispers, you will not have anything worth saying. Amen. out of all of that stuff, out of all the things we've gotten to be a part of, all of the miracles, the signs, the wonders, so many souls into the kingdom. And I rejoice in each and every one of them, but I'm telling you it all pales in comparison to this morning when I got to get up and sit with Jesus. And that ain't just for me. That's for all of us. Let me read this verse to you and then we'll we'll do something different. As I was going through all of this God began to speak to me about the secret place. I'm sniffling but it ain't because of the that ain't because of the Rona. I was crying. <laughs> oh, man. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5, Jesus is teaching us to pray. Do you think we should listen when Jesus teaches us to pray? Yeah. Me too, so let's do it. Right here in chapter 6, Matthew verse 5 says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. Oh, wait, I skipped. All right. I'll start there. That's good. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, but you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door. Pray to the father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Jesus is teaching me how to pray. Jesus is teaching you how to pray. He said, when you pray, go and shut the door. He didn't tell you to take anybody with you. He said, Wilson. Go shut the door. He didn't take, you, t- t- take you, your daddy with you or your wife or your kids. Do I believe in corporate prayer? Absolutely. I do. It's the will of God for us to pray together as a family. Amen. It's the will of God for us to contend for what matters to him and what matters to us. It's the will of God for us to do that corporately. But corporate prayer will never hit the mark until we are growing and we are flourishing in private prayer. He said, When you pray, go and shut the door. And what? And the Father who is in the secret place. Do you think Jesus is smarter than us? I do. And Jesus is, he knows that we know God is everywhere, right? God is everywhere. Omnipresent. If you want to put the theologian word on it, he's everywhere, right? But he said, and he, 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 he invited us into a different dynamic here. He invited us into a different realm. He said, the father who is in the secret place, and he knows that God's everywhere, but I need you to understand brother Van. He is In the secret place he's everywhere, but he is, there's a, there's a, there's a different dynamic happening here there. He is in the secret place. There's a depth here, guys, and it's not the clergy's responsibility somewhere along the line. We put a dividing line between clergy and congregation. And we got to destroy that thing. We got to get that undone because it's the will of God for us all to know him, to walk with him. There is a personal responsibility, guys, to steward your hearts before the Lord. It's not just here when we get to the church house. It should be happening in your house. What will it look like? I'll leave you with this question. What will it look like on Sunday morning when you get here, but you have been stewarding the whispers of God in your prayer closet Monday through Saturday? What will that Sunday morning look like when you come into this place and you have stewarded the very voice of God? What will that, what's that going to look like? I'm pretty sure it will be an explosion of the kingdom of God that this little old building can't hold. Amen. So I need you to take this Quit coming to church and start coming to Jesus. If you're coming to Jesus, really, really coming to Jesus, you'll come to church. Don't worry. They'll still come. No worries. (laughs) Is that okay, Wilson? So let's just stand up together. I know we got another service. But can we just take a minute and be patient? Can we just take a minute and say yes? Yes, Father. We hear you calling out. We hear you calling to us from the secret place. Great grace was upon them all. Great grace was upon them all. The greatest revelations in my life, the greatest moments of my life have come in the whispers, the still, small voice. And you need to let that be what is fueling your life. Let that fuel your life. So we take a moment, father, and we say, yes, we say yes to you. We say yes to intimacy and devotion. We will not succeed in ministry while we fail in intimacy and devotion. We will not succeed in business while we fail in intimacy and devotion. We say yes to you today. Father, we say yes to your call we say yes to the secret place. You are in the secret place and you are waiting for us there. And I speak that grace over this house. I speak that grace over your lives, the grace for hiddenness, the grace for intimacy and devotion. And I pray that 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 yes, that your yes to his his to the secret place will begin to unlock and unfold things to you that you never thought possible. You are worth it all, Father. And nothing matters more than sitting at your feet. Nothing matters more than sitting at your feet. So we say yes to you today, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I'm going to give it to Wilson, but if there's anybody that needs prayer, if you're sick in your body, between however it works, it doesn't matter. If you need prayer, just grab me by the shirt and say, pray for me, and we'll do that. Amen? In Jesus' mighty name.